What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 45 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wednesday, May the 3rd. Holy cow, we're already in May of this year. I'm here with my co-host, Mike. How are you doing? Hey there, I'm doing great. Uh, My birthday was yesterday. I've had a really nice... I've had a really nice birthday so far, and you know this guy over here forgot. But hey, it's okay. It's no, it's no big deal. Hey guys, you can tell we're really close. We we re- <laughs> we really are very close friends. I uh, didn't even know it was his birthday. Why didn't Facebook tell me? Usually they take care of that shit. Right? It did. It told everyone else. I had oh. like over seventy people wishing oh, me happy man. birthday. You know, I, you. like I even I even saw Mike Martin post something about it. Sorry, Mike, if you didn't want your name on here. Oh well. Um, I saw him post something about it, and I was like, I, I don't know. It was like one of those things where it's like, is it Mike's birthday? And then I like I didn't see anything else on your page because Facebook like skirts that to the side. Uh, fa- yeah, and also Facebook has been really glitchy lately for me anyway. Yeah, so, it, so I didn't know if it was your birthday that day. I didn't want to yeah. be some weirdo and like wish you a happy birthday like three days before your birthday, you know, so I didn't know. So I was like, yeah. oh, I'm going to err on the side of not saying anything. <laughs> happy birthday, Mike. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, uh, I'm 28 now, uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where all right, yeah, definitely getting older, but and, I, and, and there's other things I'm noticing. Like, I really, I'm not like super fat, but I could definitely lose some weight around oh the middle. Oh my god, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I've seen pictures of you, sir. You are like, uh, you know, you're very skinny. You're, I mean, not not saying it's a bad I, thing. I, I, I am, but I have this this this. This belly, I need to, oh you know, maybe get like a get over yourself. I need to work out anyway. I need to get in better shape. Well, that's working out, that that's that. that's different. But losing losing weight, no, you don't need to lose weight. I I feel like you're maybe old, a little bit turn the fat and my stomach into muscle. I feel like your old of, Jewish mother right now, Mikey. You look fine. You don't <laughs> you look, don't need to lose weight. You look just fine. Uh, I'm allowed to say that because my mother's Jewish. Actually, she's not, but I'm gonna say that she is, so I can say that I'm allowed to say that. Yeah. Um, so I've had I've had a good birthday so far. I've had a lot of cool things. Got a got a bunch of VHS tapes. Uh, got some laser discs, a beta a beta tape of Inner Space, um, and uh, I got a new portable flash drive, uh, hard drive, two terabyte hard drive. Uh, but it doesn't work on my Blu-ray player, but I think that's a Blu-ray player's problem because it plays on other things. Mainly so I can store other stuff like uh, video game footage or uh, playthrough footage or uh, more Unsolved mystery stuff. So That's cool. So that, that way uh, I have extra space. Dude, that, that, that store that you went to was nuts. You went to a store yeah, called... Uh, Ver- the Variety Shop. The Variety yeah. Shop, and you posted a picture of it on Facebook, and I feel like you should almost posted the group so people can see what we're talking about, but yeah. it's like, dude, it's like stepping into uh, the, I want to say the 90s, but like even blockbusters were more organized than this place, although it was organized for having so many VHS tapes, but good yeah. God, it is wall-to-wall VHS tapes from the picture that I saw and, like, multiple copies of the same movie and shit, too. I'm just like, dude, how do these people ever expect to move all this stuff? Or do they ever expect to move it? Because are there really that many VHS t- 
tape aficionados. Well, there's a uh, decent ma- there's a decent amount of them, but the problem is back there it's the backlog where there's a bunch of doubles and stuff, uh, and there's a lot of generic titles that he probably will never move. But you know. Who knows? And then with VHS tapes, the quality deg- is just going to degrade over time. Actually, so. actually, depending on the company, depending on the type of tape that's used, as long as it's in the t- right temperature and in the right conditions, it'll last a long time. And some, and there, I have some from like the late seventies or the eighty, early eighties, that are older than I am, and they still work really well. Also, another thing is the play time. Like, how much are you playing these tapes? Because each time you play the tape, of course, it's going to degrade more and more and more. But if you only play it every now and then and you keep it in a temperature-controlled environment, it should last a a long amount of time. Uh, Probably might not last as... Because the tape here is not made out of the same material that a lot of these older films from the 20s and... Uh, I, I forgot exactly what the film stock was called, but it was a film stock that just deteriorated as the years went by. I feel like when you said actually, I feel like you held your index finger up and pointed it to the ceiling, like actually, like like a point dexter. <laughs> Uh, actually, 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 well, I have VHS tapes. Uh, now, and I know there's a difference. I have VHS tapes that are like, you know, blank VHS tapes that my dad or mom bought back in the day, and they just use them to tape stuff off the TV. Those yeah. age like ass. And they I'm, do. I'm guessing it's because the blank VHSs were made from a cheaper... Yeah, exactly. They had, they had more... The, in order to put more recording time on there, they had to ch- cheap out on the materials. Um, so... Yeah, it just depends. I mean, if you keep the tapes in a poor environment, uh, then they're going to get moldy, and then it's all going to be a, a whole issue and all of that. So that's, that's cool. the main issue with tapes. Also, with Laserdisc, that's another thing. is It's called Laser Rot's an issue. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Laser Rot. It doesn't really rot away. It, it just something to do with the glue that was used to put everything together it starts to kind of deteriorate a little bit and it causes the picture to look all weird. And this has even happened with Blu-rays because of the pressing, because of the material that uh, the company was using to press the disc and the glue and all of that, it wasn't very good. And uh, even Criterion had an issue uh, with that uh, fairly recently. That's, so that's um, weird because you think like Blu-rays are more of a newer medium. Oh, like, you would think Criterion would not have to ever worry. You you know, especially a marquee company like Criterion, but no, they actually did make a mistake earlier, and but they fixed that since then. But yeah, it's crazy. You know, that's that's I, I find that stuff interesting, and I know other people are probably like, "Oh, this is so boring." We get to this yeah, <laughs> well, guys, you better but, yeah. you better chill out because I haven't even gotten to my week yet. So you you got a whole <laughs> another five minutes of chit chat coming your way, and I'm about to lay it on you right now. Um, <laughs> uh, main thing I did that was worthy of note this last week was uh, I went to a festival in Jacksonville. Well, it's a festival. It's called different names in different cities, but in Jacksonville, it's called Welcome to Rockville, and it's it's like Coachella um, and 
uh, what's the other big festival? I don't fucking know. But but like much more butt rock. So much more like your local <laughs> like rock radio station, like ninety three three The Rock or whatever. You know, I've never heard that term before. Really, butt rock? No, I've never heard that. All the all so, the ninety three point three your butt rock station <laughs> dude seriously that that is a legit term any of the rockers out there listening to this podcast they know what i'm talking about it's it's like your nickelbacks and your seether three days grace uh okay. chevelle uh Godsmack, you know these look at this photograph but every time it makes me laugh, what the hell was on Johnny's head? Man, Nickelback is like the Nicolas Cage of, uh, of bands or music. Uh, I, I don't even know if I'd say that because Nick Cage to me is more entertaining and has more <laughs> talent than Nickelback. That's that's true. He is very entertaining. I don't know if it's always in a good way. But anyway, I went to this festival, Welcome to Rockville. Now, they had some freak promotion because our local baseball team here which uh, get ready for this it's called the jacksonville jumbo shrimp (laughs) (laughs) we used to be called the jacksonville suns but they felt a name change and a rebranding was necessary for the new generation and they went with the jacksonville jumbo shrimp you'd have you have a shrimp uh shrimp scampi a shrimp burger uh shrimp baseball team <laughs> damn it Jackson. so anyway it was a promotion for this for the employees of the jacksonville jumbo shrimp to to where you could enter it yeah i know i can't how could you be a player for that team i don't know and don't ever it, it's like that awful uh major league sequel major league bad to the minors where it's the buzz the name of the team is the buzz and their mascot's a b no, that would even be better than Jumbo Shrimp. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, I even have a video on my YouTube channel because, like, our theme song used to be Baseball's never been harder than the Jacksonville Suns. And I changed it to Baseball's never been harder than the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp. And I have to, like, say it real quick. <laughs> but, no, nah, I don't think we have a theme song now. But, um, yeah, so anyway, it was a promo code meant for the employees of that team to enter on the Ro- Welcome to Rockville website, and it made the tickets only $1. And these tickets, these general admission tickets are normally like 80, 90, 100 bucks per ticket. Wow. So I got one for me and my lady friend, which I guess I haven't mentioned on here. I have a lady friend now. Her name's, uh, well, I won't, I won't mention her name. But um, anyway, uh, so her and I went on, it was Saturday and Sunday. It was two days of uh, music, rock, goodness. Um, I gave no shits about um, 80% of the bands that were playing. But the last three bands, um, The Offspring, A Perfect Circle, and Soundgarden, I did want to see those bands, cool. and for one dollar, yeah, for one dollar, why the fuck not? So, we went there, and oh my god, this festival was nuts. Um, not in a good way. Jacksonville is a very highly populated city, so when we have festivals, obviously, you know, because we're a big city, we can have festivals. Um, the amount of fucking people there, the amount of shirtless, ratchety. What we would call West Side, because the West Side's kind of like the redneck part of town here. Just West Side trash that showed up. Oh my God, dude, it was it was crazy, and uh, just some of the worst tattoos you've ever seen, some of the worst fashion, some of the worst smells you've ever. It, it offended you on all all five senses, even sense of touch, because when the Offspring went on to play, 
me and my lady friend were standing there watching them and we were trying to get a spot up close to the stage that wasn't happening there was like so i would i would venture to say there was a good 10,000 people there maybe maybe less but there was there's a shit ton of people there that's a good measurement of uh, a degree of measurement for this case but people were like pushing past us to get to the front and when i say push past i don't mean uh, excuse me sir i got to get by i mean it was like get the fuck out of my way you know like like just really like knocking you out of the way so you could get by no manners inconsiderate i get it it's a rock festival that's how it's going to be and i've come to the conclusion that maybe i'm just a little too old for that kind of shit because when i was younger you know i've been to the warp tour and things like that and it was fine but Man, I this city is just getting too over fucking populated. In the past, in the past ten years, it, it is the population has doubled or tripled. The traffic's gotten worse, and now there's more mouth breathing morons at these festivals. And uh, Soundgarden was great, though. I mean, uh, Offspring they were good, but God, there was with all the hubbub that was going on around me, it was hard to pay attention. But by the time Soundgarden came on, we found a comfortable spot. And man, they, they they still got it. Like that grunge era, uh, just rock, just kind of dark uh, show that they put on. It was great. God, it was great. Like they were, they still have that magic. I totally like get why they got as big as they did back in the '90s. You know, because their sound is just, just so unique. You know, they put you in that that world of like just that dark kind of grunge world when you see them play live so yeah really uh, cool. one of my favorite songs of theirs probably my favorite song of theirs is black hole sun yeah they played that and it was great um one of the scariest videos when i was a kid god yeah. that video was trippy man um, black hole sun won't you come i'll wash away the rain black hole sun won't you come won't you come? Black hole sun! Black hole sun! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was. I think I just had a stroke of uh, miniature proportions. But yeah, that was... Uh, but, but, but dude, it was so bad like with the crowds and everything that we decided to not go the next day. Because I was looking... <laughs> I was like, you know, the tickets were only a dollar each. And honestly, yeah. the, the next day, the lineup was... Uh, pretty bad um i think it's like the the headlining band was def leppard which i give no shits about i don't know about i like def leppard but you know uh you know to each his own uh, to me and there was someone one of my friends on facebook uh was even and he's not a friend he's just an acquaintance uh you know how facebook is he's he, he's uh i guess because he went to both days and he's like Def Leppard, and then like a greater than sign, Soundgarden. And it's like, dude, you can't compare the two bands. You can't compare They're those. They're totally two. different. I, I'm a fan of both, and I, even I won't compare them. You know, I, I, I only compare Def Leppard with their contemporaries. Right. The same goes for Soundgarden. Yeah. You know, like... I don't know. Def Leppard to me is is just... They're, they're the epitome of pop... 80s rock and it's just not a genre that's very interesting to me musically so i, I didn't care to miss out on sunday so we just stayed in and well, yeah it's totally understandable yeah. i mean if death leopard's the only band that is big and everyone else is just like eh, who cares i mean they also uh, had like papa roach and uh which i again just don't give a fuck about there's like one song i like from him i think it's called i'm not listening uh chevelle uh, that was i, would, I don't even know what the hell it sounds like a, a car it is a, a chevy car. chevelle 
Yeah, they had uh, Of Mice and Men, <laughs> the Dillinger Escape Plan. I don't know. I just don't care about any of those bands. I'm very... I never even heard of any of those bands. <laughs> That's not a surprise to me, Mike. You're not really the music guy. You're the movie guy, so... Well, you know, I, I, I am into music, too. It's just I'm not as well learned with music as you probably are. Yeah, I know. Um, I, I, there's certain bands, though, that, like, hair metal bands I, I'm familiar with, or metal bands I'm familiar with that you might not be i don't have you heard of a band called crocus of course of course yeah so cool so he's probably heard of any kind of band that could throw out yeah see hair metal is the kind of music that that you shouldn't know about because it's not that good some of it's all right i think that you like hair metal is b- because a lot of the movies that you like have hair metal in the soundtrack well right? most of the hair metal bands i like are actually legitimately good i'm not like saying Dokken. they're not talented but i just like Dawkins or scorpions scorpions has gone on and done different genres yeah scorpions uh, they, 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 they're not just hair metal they're not just a hair metal band i don't like poison oh, i'm not a fan of Motley Crue for the most part, except oh for a few songs. Do you know what's crazy? I'm, I got a fucking. I know people are pulling their hair out right now. It's crazy to me is like some of these hair metal bands, like their songs that aren't played in rotation all the time on rock radio are actually pretty damn good. Because yeah. I, I saw a live uh, Motley Crue concert on TV and they played some song I had never heard before. And I'm like, this song's pretty freaking cool. Why? Yeah, like Shout you... at the Devil, well, stuff they, like that. They play yeah. that song on the radio. But it was some other yeah. song. I don't remember what it not was. Not very often, though. No, not, not, anymore. not often, but it's one of their known songs. This was a song that was like a deeper cut that, they, that you never yeah. hear anywhere. And I was like, damn, that's cool. Like, why are they stuck on like three songs by a particular band and they're pigeonholed into those three uh, songs? And it's just home sweet home. <laughs> oh yeah, they're ballad. Yeah, so um, yeah, it sounded like fun, but it also sounded like not fun. I mean, it's, it, it sounds like it would be overwhelming too. Because I've been to places like that. I went to this place called uh, it was like the world's largest garage sale or whatever. They're exaggerating <laughs> in order to get get your get your butt into the door. But it's at, it was at a convention uh, hall, you know, a Portland uh, convention center. And I found some, you know, stuff there. But, oh, my God, it's just overwhelming because there's too many people jam-packed into this location. Yeah. It's just this cacophony of noise. And, and it's super packed. And there's people who are not really disabled but they think they are so they drive around those carts uh and and there's people who are like overweight and can't walk very far and so they stop and and sit down but then take up half that freaking aisle (laughs) and it's just one of those things where you were in a traffic jam inside a building because these people were just walking super slowly or somebody was sitting down for a rest. The people in the motorized carts were moving slowly. It was just like, oh, my God. I, 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 there was stuff I might have missed, but I just could not deal with this anymore. And I was just I was just trying to dodge and weave and kind of jog around people because I'm like, I, I want to get. To place, I want to see these vendors get out of my way. Yeah, I know. That's how I felt. I was like, get the <laughs> fuck out of my way. People who walk slower than I do, and I walk very fast. Uh, I'm a very fast walker. Well, so do I. So, so most people walk slower than me. So, I mean, you know. It reminds me of high school when everybody, when it was time, 
uh, before Lake Oswego was remodeled, it was an old building that was just absolutely starting to fall apart. It wasn't big enough for the students. Every time school let out, there would be this giant traffic jam of people lined out the door to try to get out to go to the buses. It was insane. And most of it's because people were shuffling their feet and walking slowly. And I, I just don't understand that. I, I really don't. But that's and people walking like zombies. You see it at the mall, too. That's another place you see it all oh, the time. Oh, yeah, the mall. Yep, yeah, for sure. That drives me crazy. Yeah, I, I can't I can't do the slow walking people. I mean, maybe if I smoked weed, I'd walk a little slower. But <laughs> <laughs> Or if you wore pants that, you know, didn't fit you correctly, but you're trying to be stylish. Yeah, maybe I'd, oh. yeah, maybe I'd walk slower. But uh, I, I'm kind of an uptight, high-strung person. So I'm, I'm, I'm the stereotypical white guy that all Def Jam comics made fun of in the 90s. Like, well, got to get to work on time. Like that's that's me. Uh, I'm just walking fast, you know, clenching my butt cheeks together the whole time. You know that that's that's me. So Typical I, tight I, ass. Yeah, tight ass, pretty much. So let's get to All some right. mysteries. So let's get let's get to some mysteries. Okay, yeah. uh, we'll start out with the case of Gus Hoffman. This is one from uh, season one. It's one I picked. Uh, I personally found it to be a particularly unsettling and uh, memorable case because of how shocking and brutal it is. And also I really did feel very much for his mother Yeah, who went in yeah. and did all of this research and spent all of his time trying to figure out what happened to her son. And then, and understandably you're trying to figure out what happened. But in the process, she uncovers what could be the truth and what, in my opinion, more than likely is. Yeah, and I mean, it's you, truly horrifying. You come across like various mothers and fathers of these segments uh, in all these murder cases, and they all, you know, have handled the grief uh, differently. Um, some you can tell haven't moved on as well as others, and this is definitely one of those moms where she's in like the top three of the ones that you really feel bad for just because yeah. she she's still carrying that burden and that pain with her very, you know, clearly, you know. I, I, I keep getting choked up every time I see this segment when I when I see her because you can tell that this was devastating and right and rightfully so. I mean, it would be devastating but, for any mother or any father to lose their child like this. You can't get choked up, though, Mike, because we're a bunch of uncaring, ignorant assholes, according to some of the reviews. So you're not allowed to get choked up because we're not good people. <laughs> Teach their own. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so anyway, uh, this case deals with a uh, 20 year old Gus Hoffman, who was an avid musician and motorcycle rider. In October of 1977, he acquired an old Harley-Davidson Sportster, and he spent a lot of time, effort, and money restoring it to mint condition. The make and model of the bike was popular, not only with aficionados, but with criminal bikers, and may have regretfully made Gus a target. Made Gus a target. Uh, because of this, his parents wanted him to sell the bike. He agreed to do this once he finished refurb refurbishing it. That's crazy to me. That's like, oh... Can't be riding this bike around because a bunch of asshole criminal bikers, they they like those bikes. Now, was that the real reason or were they just concerned for his safety? Because I think they were saying they were just concerned for his I safety. I think that could have been both. It could have been a combination of both. So on July 4th, 1978, he showed off 
the bike to his brother and told him that he was going to take the bike out for a short ride. However, he never returned. Gus's mother, Rose, became concerned and contacted the police. The police told her that nothing could be done until 48 hours after he was reported missing. On the 4th of July. I mean, that's... I mean, it's awful that he went missing, and on any day it would be awful, but I mean, it's a major holiday. So every day, every every 4th of July, the holiday is always going to be dampened. It's always going to be... You know, your enjoyment of it is always going to be lessened because this is the day my son disappeared. Yeah, that sucks. So she, uh, so nothing can be done until 48 hours after he's reported missing. So she decided to look for him herself, which is, I understand why they have that rule in place because sometimes people go missing, but then they show up later. And we never hear about those people on the news. We never hear about the people who went missing because they wanted to and then they just showed up. You know, We only hear yeah. about the people who went missing and it turns out to be something nefarious. So that's, uh, that's why yeah. they have the 48-hour rule because, you know, it, for every person that goes missing and it's like, you know, uh, foul play, there's probably two or three people that go missing that just wanted to go missing. Or just missing. drunk off their ass and didn't come home until two days later. Yeah, so, you know, police yeah. police probably finally had to, like, you know, put up some kind of a, you know, threshold of, okay, you know, we can't just go right out and look for someone. We got to give it a little time to see if they're really missing. Exactly. Yeah. So she canvassed the neighborhood and soon ran into one of Gus's friends who worked at a gas station. The friend told her that on the day of Gus's disappearance, he saw Gus pull up to an intersection on his motorcycle. The friend saw two other bikers and a blue Monte Carlo riding close behind him. The friend remembered the two bikers because they had come into the gas station earlier and had been mean to him. A second witness claimed the two bikers had stopped Gus, argued with him, and threatened him with chains. It's just so absurd to me. The whole threatening somebody with chains. And the reenactment is fantastic because it shows the, the Gus is on his bike and here comes his two bikers that drive up next on either side of him and start threatening him with chains and smacking him with chains. Right. Like, and if this if this had been any other show, they could have gone so wrong with with a lot of these yeah. kind of, these kind of things, you know, like the stereotypical biker comes up. I mean, they could have done it so corny, but Unsolved yeah. Mysteries usually never did it corny. They usually did no, it really well. No, it didn't well. feel corny. Like it felt genuinely like a movie. suspenseful and like a movie. It was like, "Oh shit, like this is really serious." You you were hoping Gus would get away from these uh, wannabe ghost riders because they're using chains, which is one of the things that Ghost Rider uses in the comics. Yeah, we get and it. in the really bad Nicholas Cage oh, movies. Yes, another Nicholas Cage. See, he's making it in. I think Nicholas Cage should make it into our podcast more. <laughs> just references, clips, anything. Folks, speaking of just a random tangent. Speaking of Nicholas Cage. Do yourself a favor and go on YouTube after this podcast, or Josh can put the link in the video description. Look up clips from the movie Deadfall with Nicolas Cage. It is some of the most hilarious, over-the-top, bad acting you will ever see in your life. Uh, what's the other one he did? Something with a vampire or something? Date with yeah, yeah, Vampire's Kiss. <laughs> I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! Hey! B, C, D, E, F, G. 
And you also got the, the wicker man. Bees, not bees. Oh God, no, not the bees. <laughs> Anything but the bees. Ah. <laughs> I love that shit. Oh my God. All right. See, Nick Cage can make even a bad movie like tolerable because of how how over the top his acting is. So anyway, so these bikers attacking Gus with these chains, according to this eyewitness. And when Gus started to pull away, the two bikers in the Monte Carlo followed him. The two witnesses identified one of the bikers as Michael Hodges, a member of the Forgotten Few motorcycle gang. The other biker was identified as Michael Stevenson, another member of the same gang. Stevenson was a violent career criminal. However, investigators did not have enough evidence to bring the two men in for interrogation. Instead, they questioned other gang members who knew the two men. But nobody was willing to talk. In order to turn up leads for the police, Rose and a friend named Carol Jensen decided to go undercover to infiltrate motorcycle gang hideouts. Ballsy. They went to biker bars and other hangouts and questioned bikers, hoping to find anyone who had information about Gus. Very ballsy. Because you could easily end up in a lot of trouble doing something like that. She should have gotten Brian Bosworth to, to be her bodyguard or help her out in with the biker infiltration. I'm starting, because, to see uh, more, I'm starting to see more why you picked this segment, because it's very cinematic in a lot of the things that have happened. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, and I'm mentioning Brian Bosworth because he was in a film called Stone Cold that was about the, a biker gang. And Lance Henriksen played the leader of the gang. Uh, and I was so excited there, my voice cracked for some reason. Puberty is but, a bitch. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, he played the leader of the gang, and Brian Bosworth was this undercover cop. It's a pretty fun uh, action movie. So anyway, they went to these biker bars and other hangouts and questioned the bikers, hoping to get any information about Gus. She solicited and even bought information, sharing any lead that she found with the police. Rose hired a PI who had connections with motorcycle gangs. He set up a meeting with a woman who claimed to have information about Gus's disappearance. The informant said that Gus was dead. She claimed that he had been tortured for three to five days before being killed. I mean, oh, that is just awful. Yeah, but, you know, another part, or, another part of me is like, that's what she said, you know, but yeah. you know, who knows if that's actually what happened. As, yeah, as but Mike she has sweet tea or something. Uh, Mountain Dew, actually. Ah, so, uh, typical. so. So my voice doesn't crack again. But anyway. <laughs> Maybe I liked it cracking. I thought it was sexy. <laughs> uh, so um, she was an informant. I think she was actually a part of the gang. So I don't really see why she would have any reason to lie. Um, and his body, as far as I know, has never been found. So... I mean, it could be true, it could not be, but I'm kind of leaning towards it being the case. Um, these were known to be really violent criminals, so I wouldn't put it past them to do shit like that. Because they look at him and see him riding a bike that they personally feel is their brand of bike. Stupid. And, and Yeah, I know, it's stupid. I mean, that's how it is a lot of gangs. I mean, you can get shot at just because you're wearing red or blue in certain neighborhoods. Um, my my uh, stepbrother, when he uh, flew in from Utah to uh, 
stay with us for a bit in Oklahoma City, he was wearing blue, and he was actually like threatened and followed around by gang members and stuff, and actually had to have my uncle come in and pick him up real quick. And yeah, it was crazy. There's a biker gang in Jacksonville in, my, in the city that I live in. I really hope that nobody from that particular biker gang listens to this podcast because I'm about to make fun of them. Um, their biker name, their, like the name of their gang, is The Scoundrels. Oh, you dirty scoundrels stealing my blueberry pie off the windowsill, you little scoundrels. Like that. You ugh. dirty, rotten scoundrels. Stupid fucking name. Like, all I can think of is just an old grandma. Like, that's just her go-to. Oh, you scoundrels! You stole my blueberry pie! Like... I mean, uh, and I want to make this clear. Not all motorcycle gangs are criminal gangs. There actually are motorcycle gangs that don't get involved in any sort of nefarious stuff. They're just gangs of motorcycle enthusiasts. Yeah, I mean, that's... Yeah, um, we, we have to... I mean... I mean, that's obvious to me, but I, I feel like we do have to say that because if not, someone's going to be going, oh, let me go to the keyboard to write a review. Actually, not all gangs or motorcycle gangs are bad and they're not gangs and that's offensive and your podcast gets one star now. I'm offended. <laughs> We've been offending a lot of people lately, folks. Excuse us. I'm sorry. Good. I, I guess that's what happens when you t- be honest and you tell the truth. And, people get offended. And when you get visibility, because when no one gave yeah. a shit about this podcast, nobody got offended because nobody was listening to it. But now I guess people <laughs> are listening to it. So, you know. Yeah. So anyway, this informant said that Gus was tortured for three to five days before being killed. Um, and if that's true, that is just absolutely horrifying and uh i can't even imagine what she was going through when she heard that information rose begged for the woman to talk to the police but the investigator said the woman would couldn't because she would be killed which also adds to the validity of it in my opinion because she risked her life just giving this information to an informant but she can't really go to the police about it because she's still a part of this gang, technically, or or the gang is keeping tabs on her. And if they find out she went to the police, they kill her. So Rose believes the bikers took her son to an unknown home, forced him into a garage, tortured him, and then murdered him. But she has no evidence to prove her theory. Understandably so, uh, because the body was never found, and none of this is a, nothing has ever really been found. Uh, then on June 19th, 1986, Michael Stevenson was killed during a failed extortion attempt. With Stevenson dead, investigators requested former motorcycle gang members. These members began to talk, and they said that Gus had been taken to Stevenson's home where he was tortured and murdered. That adds even more validity to the statement. Because the other gang, now you have not just this one woman who was informed the PI and said that's what happened. Now you have these other gang members that confirmed the story. That's why I, I tend to believe that that's actually what happened. I didn't want to believe it, Mike. I know. No one wants to believe that. That some innocent kid, 20-year-old young man, would be taken and accosted by these asshole bikers, taken back to a garage somewhere, tied up, beaten, and tortured to death for days. My thought is, is like, how do these people, like, how, 
how are these people so cocksure that they're going to get away with just killing somebody in the United States? Yeah, I know you can make the argument that, well, actually rich people can have people killed and people are killed all the time and the Clintons killed 7,000 people and blah, blah, Yeah, I know people say shit like that, but like, honestly, you know, with all conspiracy theories out of, crazy conspiracy theorists out of the way, which I'm one of when it comes to UFOs, um, like how do people, you know, like these biker gangs, like how do they, they feel like they can just, oh, I'll just, you know, we'll just kill them and nothing will ever happen. There'll be no consequences. Well, they're, they're thinking that uh, no one will find anything. No one will find any evidence because they got rid of it. No one will find a body. They're a gang. So they don't, they ride around uh, cross country. So they think they're not going to be caught because of that. And ideally, they probably wouldn't have had anything happen to them in terms of this if Stevenson didn't die during a failed extortion attempt, which then led to the other bikers getting arrested. And in order for them to change their uh, sentences, they, of course, decided to do plea. I think I, I think this might be the right term or plea bargain where they give information. So. In June 1988, Michael Hodges was arrested and charged with Gus's murder. However, Rose and the investigators are certain that there were more people involved in the case. Yeah, there was one biker uh, one that was uh, harassing him, according to the eyewitnesses, on a bike. There's another one on another bike, and then there's those people in the Monte Carlo. And who knows who else? There could have been somebody who wasn't even there when he got uh, taken, and they were you know, doing the torturing. Or taking part in the torturing. Yeah, it's unsolved. I mean, the torture stuff, you're just thinking, like, why would they even do that? It's such a shocking, senseless crime. Like, what was the, what? why? There is no answer. It's unknown. Because they can, because they were bored, because they were hopped up on meth, you know? I mean, yeah, yeah, probably it, hopped up on pills or some kind of drugs or whatever. They saw him riding a bike that... They probably maybe they thought was one of their gang members or he stole it or he shouldn't be riding it or whatever or, or they wanted to fuck with him. But then, you know, he he actually stood up for himself and they decided to, you know, fuck him up for that. I don't know. It, it just it's like it's like some people never grow out of that child uh, a child's curiosity to like abuse animals or to hurt a, a, a living thing. Well, some people are just bullies. They were bullies that, yeah, when they were too. kids, and then they're bullies when they're adults. It's like they, it's like, it's like they never develop that higher consciousness of it's shitty to hurt living things. You know, like I remember, I you know, me and I'm not fucking proud to say this at all, but me and my cousin used to kind of, you know fuck around with his dog you know back when we were younger and, and and you know we never did anything like major but we you know we did stuff that i'm not you know proud of and as a kid i thought it was like fun and funny and shit and now that i'm older i'm just disgusted to even admit that that happened because as i got older my consciousness it for for in my my uh, i guess um consideration for other other living things grew to where I was like, oh, that's horrible, you know? I can't even kill a, a fucking roach now without feeling bad about it. You know, like, honestly, like, I, because I know they feel I bad. don't know. I mean, I'm not going to feel bad about killing a cockroach. 
I, I just I don't I don't know. I've gotten very uh, Buddha like in that or Buddhist like in that in that aspect. Like I feel like all living things, you know, are, are have a right to be here. But when they start infiltrating my house, that's when they've crossed See, that's, the boundaries. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If it's out in the wild, I'm not going to even or outside. I'm not even going to do anything to it. Yeah, I don't do anything to spiders or any bugs that are outside. I'm not that kind of person. Uh, but if they're in my room, I'm sorry. Like I, I've been, I've been doing, trying to do, like maybe vacuum them up instead of smashing them. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. But, <laughs> but you know, it's probably an even worse way for them to to die than probably smashing them real quick. But some, most of the time, I only do do that with ones like a spiders in the corner of of the wall somewhere where I can't really smash it and I don't really want it to be there. So they, they shouldn't be here anyway. And I can't catch it either. I, and I've been doing better. I've been trying to catch, you know, insects and put them in a cup and throw them outside or something if I can get them. But if the dang spiders propped himself up in the corner of my wall, I can't catch him. Well, I go that- out there with a cup and whatever, he'll fall out and then, fall behind somewhere and then now i got it now i got got a spider crawling around in my room i don't know where it is and i'm gonna be thinking about that all day and be up all night you know there's actually almost like a risk reward with uh keeping a spider or spiders being in your house because the risk is that they're venomous and they could bite you and you could die potentially uh, yeah or get a really gnarly infection the reward is that uh, they are much more effective at catching and, and eating insects than, say, a roach would be. Roaches don't do shit. They're useless. Because no. um, I remember we moved a piece of furniture one time that had been in this area for a long time because I think they were getting the carpets cleaned at my parents' old house. So we moved this dresser, and behind the dresser was a spider web and all these dead ant bodies around the web. Like he had been, he had been feasting on some ants, and we had had an ant problem, and uh, that spider took care of a lot of those ants. So cool, you know, it's like shit like that. It's like okay, you know, that's redeemable. But roaches, yeah. oh, they're just they're just creepy, and they procreate really quick, and they shit everywhere. And yeah, yeah. I, I still remember one that just crawled out of nowhere when I when I was in living with my dad in Oklahoma City. I was just sitting on my bed watching something, and then. Roach crawled out of the fucking shadows and freaked the fuck out of me, and then smashed it with a shoe. Especially when they can fly. <laughs> oh god! Some of them can fly, man. Some of them can fucking they, not for very long, but they can like lunge at you, and those ones are scary. Which is silly. It's an irrational fear because and that thing's like a hundred times smaller than you. It poses no. I don't threat know to if you. you if you saw the the creep show uh, horror anthology segment in the film Creep Show called "They're Creeping Up on You." Yeah, I think you'd definitely be pretty freaked out by roaches. But anyway, uh, being tortured uh, for a few days is definitely freaky as well. Uh, This is like a real-life Saw scenario, and it's not not a film. I mean, that's what's so crazy about it. This sounds like a movie. This sounds like something that would be the plot of a film. And also, she went in and did – she did all this undercover – uh, searching and all this. She did this for 10 years. God damn. That's a long time, man. That That's a, yeah. you're investing your whole life into your kids. But sh- her time is the reason why the case was technically solved, but 
kind of not, but there were actually people that were convicted of the crime. It's because of her effort, because of her tireless effort in trying to find out what happened to her son. So is there an update? Well, it was unresolved. Richard Dollar, another gang member, was serving time in the San Quentin prison for a parole violation when he was charged with Gus's murder. Yet another gang member, John Stell, was arrested in Northern California in December 1988, while Unsolved Mysteries was still filming Gus's story. Stell was carrying a loaded handgun, and he was also charged with Gus's murder. In August 1990, Michael Hodges, Richard Dollar, and John Stell were all convicted of Gus's murder and sentenced to life in prison. Hodge and Stell have since died behind bars. Good for Based them. on the testimony of witnesses, investigators believe Gus's body was dismembered in Michael Stevenson's garage, Jesus. placed in trash bags, and taken to an unknown location. Can you just imagine that? Your life literally treated like garbage. Well, if just, it was if it was my life personally, I'd be dead, so I wouldn't I wouldn't care. But if it was someone that I knew, yeah, that that's that's the truly awful thing, you know, is 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 your loved ones that have to you know hear, yeah. deal with that news. Gus's body was never found, nor was his motorcycle, which authorities believe was sold to a chop shop by the murderers to disassociate themselves from the crime and for the money. Well, that was a downer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure is, but um. Oh shit! They're out there now. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Your name wasn't that stupid, okay? Scoundrels is kind of clever, I guess. All right, they're gone. Ooh, that was that was uh, ironic or coincidental, whatever word you're supposed to use there. Coincidental. There you go. What could be ironic? Uh, I keep thinking of that weird Al song word crimes, and I don't want to like misuse the uh, the uh, the term, uh, you know, or whatever. I don't know. That's I, I think no. That never mind. That's a different reference. He was referring to people who say literally, like I literally couldn't get out of it. Anyway. I try not to do that, but it's become such an easy thing for everyone to do. Yeah, because it's been so culturally accepted. And, you know, it's in the it's in the lexicon so much that it's just when you're just like, oh, literally, you know, uh, is uh, I try not to do that as well. It's more but. it's been more adapted into like a slang now than, than I, like I slip up every now and then. I'm only human. So the next case we have is uh, another downer. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry, folks. This is not a not a happy podcast. Um. Hopefully our, our jovial senses of humor will brighten your spirits and buoy your moods. Buoy. That's not a word you hear very often. All right, so uh, the story that I picked was one that I saw. I've seen it multiple times. I've seen it. Oh, God, did I just really say that? The South is rubbing off on me. I've seen it multiple times, but I've decided to talk about it today. Um, this is Buoy. Holy, that smells like pig shit on a hot summer afternoon. I tell you what, that's one thing about uh, speaking of the the what and the where and all that. There's the normal what and where, you know, the WH kind of thing in the English language, and then there's the Robert Stack what and where, which is literally what, who, where, why. <laughs> I even heard on the biker the Gus uh, segment that we were just talking about. Uh, Robert actually said he was a whiz in the garage. <laughs> <laughs> God, Robert, you're so proper. So yeah, there's the Robert Stack WH, which is different than everybody else's. Uh, that should actually be on the alphabet. Like in the alphabet at the end, there's X Y Z, and then wha wha 
It's the Robert Stack WH. What? Um, but no, this one, um, I just, I don't know. I, 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 okay, and f before I begin, let me just uh, set off a, a warning for people who are e easily triggered um, or people who are easily offended. I'm going to be... Um, I'm going to be talking in negative lights about rich people and poor people. So I'm attacking everybody in this one because I have got issues with both in this. So if you are either rich or poor, you're about to get offended. The only people who are safe are middle class people in this next one. Um, so here we go. Uh, Adam Hecht or uh, Hecht. If you're German, which I believe the mother was, when I heard her talking, she she I'm wanting to say she had a light German accent. So Adam Hecht, um, Beverly Hills, California, with an average yearly income of seventy five thousand dollars per household. This is one of the nation's wealthiest communities. Now this is what they said in the segment. They said seventy five thousand dollars per household a year. Yeah, that's gone way up since then. Yeah, I'm thinking, okay, this is the early 90s. So, I, I'll qu real quick, I want to, um, uh, I want to, I want to calculate this for inflation. I'm gonna look up and see if there's a uh, thing on on uh, Google here, inflation calculator, because I'm curious to see what seventy five thousand dollars would be in in nowadays money. Okay, here we go, CPI inflation calculator. Uh, $75,000, uh, this was 1989, January 1989, um, to Mart, well, let's do, yeah, May of 2017, calculate. No data available yet, son of a bitch. Let's do January 2017. Okay. Okay, wow. <laughs> so, $75,000 in 1989, that's equivalent of $150,395.75. So, it's, it's yep. doubled. Uh, mm -hmm. so that, that... You know, because he was saying $75,000 per household. I'm thinking, shit, I make like, uh, I don't want to say, you know, I was like, I'm, I'm like, K a year. I'm like, I'm not too far off from, well, I mean, you know. I don't even make 1K a year, so. Well, yeah. with your YouTube <laughs> channel, I'm sure you do. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> oh. Well, anyway, so $150,000 average yearly income per household. Yes, that is a lot of money in today's standards. $75,000, not so much. Um, so, uh, it's streets, stores, and sidewalks are filled with glamorous people living their life in luxury. But there's another side to Beverly Hills, as with so much of the nation, there are a growing number of homeless that pass through and even live on its affluent streets. You can just hear Robert Stack delivering that line. In the winter of 1989, one of these homeless people found an unlikely benefactor in 24-year-old Adam Hecht. The son of an Academy Award-winning producer, Adam was born into Beverly Hills luxury. He spent his childhood in an insulated world, bordered by movie stars, mansions, and privilege. Marty getting annoyed by this guy. Uh, after graduating Beverly Hills High, Adam made a living giving tennis lessons. Gosh, this is a fucking stereotypical rich person job. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, but at the same time, that's what he was born into. I can't lie I know, and say that I would not love to be in that situation. I know. Maybe I mean, I'm I would love to. I would absolutely love to be rich, the son of some Academy Award-winning producer. It's a movie guy. Oh, I could meet the stars. I go to all <laughs> these premieres. I, I would be set for life. I would never have to worry about anything ever. But also, it, there there is something to be said about the life that I do have because 
I, I because I'm not sheltered, because I'm not, I don't have everything given to me. I, I, I've learned to appreciate things and deal with certain situations more better than someone like Adam probably would. Yeah, because he hasn't really faced any sort of rough times in his life or anything like that. And and I think when you actually face that kind of stuff, you learn to appreciate everything that you have so much more than if you just had everything handed to you. Well, not only that, you, you, you learn to deal with people who give you shit and you learn to give shit back and therefore yeah. you become somebody who's able to survive in a society where you have to have a little bit of strength not physical strength, but, you know, uh, strength of mind to, to deal with, you know, people who try to hustle you, people who try to take advantage of you, people who try to be yeah. rude with you and start, you know, shit with you. you. You learn to deal with that, not being insulated behind these Beverly Hills walls, you know. So, uh, like, Adam, unfortunately, uh, most you, likely suffered yeah. from that lack he of... Did, he, he didn't mental fortitude. He doesn't yeah. really have that mental fortitude. Because he never really developed it. So from what his from his perspective, the idea of going into these skid row places and meeting people like uh, Tony, who we'll hear about soon enough, that was enticing to him because that was something that was a world that was just so unique and so different from his own. And this is that's one of the things, too, that you see a lot with these sheltered people and and, and not even just rich people, just people are sheltered, period period i mean all this stuff is taken you know uh, banned from them they're not allowed to do this they're not allowed to do that there's a statistics that show that a lot of these people you know who were you know prevented from doing sins or, or uh expressing their carnal desires when they get to a certain age and they get away from their parents they're like a kid in a candy store just gambling drugs <laughs> Sex. People, why do you think I curse so much? Because I grew up in a household where cursing wasn't allowed in a private school where cursing really wasn't allowed. So now I do it almost as a sense of uh, like entitlement. Like I, I can now say it whatever I want and I won't get demerits or get grounded. Like, fuck yeah, you know? Um, so anyway, going back to the story here, um, everyone who knew Adam remembered him as bright, independent, and friendly. All that began to change on the morning of January 10th, 1989, when Adam and his brother Harold went to breakfast at a local delicatessen. When walking in, they encountered a street person who was apparently blind in one eye. After a few minutes, Adam left the table and went outside. His brother Harold said, um, Adam said, excuse me, and he went outside and he started talking to this person. And I could see through the blinds and I couldn't understand it. And I was quite surprised. I couldn't understand his reason for being out there. Oh, by the way, I forgot. I just laid it in in the middle of doing this. Uh, all these people talk like they're wealthy. So he was like, Adam said to me, excuse me. And he went outside and started talking to this person. I could see through the blinds. I couldn't understand it. I was quite surprised. You know, it's like he, talks to, he talks like he literally has a, 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 a wad of money in his anus. And, and that, that is enabling him to, to talk that way, apparently. That's why his ass is so tight. Yes. Uh, that is not why, why mine is, though. I'm just stressed out all the time. Um, then he goes on to say, Adam came back in, started talking. I said, what were you doing out there? He said, oh, nothing. When we finished, I went out to my car. And just before I got in my car, I looked back and he was talking to this person. And I was just very surprised in that... 
this was the first time that we know who we know now is Tony. Now, the guy that Adam goes out and talks to, this guy Tony, now, uh, in the show, they don't have to give a physical description because you can see the person playing Tony, but Tony is like this tall, black dude, uh, uh, gangly-looking, nappy hair, uh, and that's not a racial thing. His hair was just fucked up looking because he was homeless. Um, I remember a long time ago, this guy cut... Like sports commentators said something about the nappy-headed people or something like that, and they, they said it was racist or whatever. I'm not saying that in a racist way. I'm just saying that the dude's hair is fucking nappy. White people's hair can be nappy too. Why do I feel the need to defend myself right now? Calm down, Josh. Just 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 take it easy. All right. Stop being such a tight ass, Josh. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, this guy Tony. So he's he's just just haggard looking like homeless guy. So within a few weeks of their first meeting, Adam invited Tony to move into his apartment. Through his new friend, Adam was exposed to a new lifestyle that was far, as far from his as day was from night. It's- All right, hold on there. I mean, who the hell does that? I mean, it's just, what do you think? What What are you even thinking, Adam? This guy from the street? You don't even know him? You know nothing about this guy? Maybe you're like mutual acquaintances? You're inviting him to to move in with you. I think in a world where you, in a world, I think in a world when you where you grow up around people who are constantly making sure you're taken care of. I think you just assume the whole world is like that. And since he probably had never been in a fight, he'd never been held up, he'd never been hustled, he'd never been taunted. You know, so he sees this guy and he's like, "I want to help you. I'm naive as fuck." And then, you know, Tony's, yeah. Tony's just like, hey, you can help me. <laughs> sure. When do I move in? You know, uh, Tony was very similar to the guy we talked about a few episodes ago. Uh, what was his name? The guy who uh, allowed uh, the other guy to move into his house and lock, like kept him in the basement. And, you know. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah. It was very, he's very similar mindsets here. These people are very submissive kind of curious people and then like a strong personality comes into their life and maybe they're a little directionless maybe they feel like their life has very little meaning being in this i mean at least one thing i will say about adam he was self-aware i mean he acknowledged that he he lived this pampered lifestyle and he was tired of it and maybe this tony guy yeah brought him into the real world a little bit and he liked it you know and he just he got became obsessed with that yeah because he, he was so sick in. of he was so sick of you know, his pampered life that you got a taste of this and he wanted the whole pie, so to speak. And, you know, like he said, he dipped his toe in the water. And But then he also decided to jump in the deep end right away instead of, you know, kind of starting out in shallow waters and then, you know, traverse towards the deep end. He jumped right in. So Tony seemed to strike a chord for Adam when, according to Harold, he had become disillusioned with his pampered life. His family fears as what started out as a gesture of a good Samaritan escalated into a nightmare. Soon after Tony moved in with Adam, uh, he brought over his new roommate, Adam brought over his new roommate to his mother's house for dinner. She was surprised that his son would shelter a street person. His mom's quoted as saying, I thought, my goodness, that's strange, but knowing Adam the way he is, I, I could understand it. Until I met Tony, I, I I really understood it. I thought that's that's so nice that he wants to help him. You know, I am very uptight and wealthy, and I don't want to say anything that is um, politically incorrect here. So he was a street person, and he seemed very nice. 
And then she goes on to say, when I saw Tony and how he talked and my God, the smell, it was unbelievable. Wow, it was scary. It was really scary. During the meal, and see, this is what I love about Unsolved Mysteries, this shit right here. They mention details like this that are just out of left field, and it's like, and not only do they mention these details, they actually portray it in the reenactment, and I'm just like, I love it. This is, why, this is one of the reasons why I love this show. He goes, they go, during the meal, Tony began to wave his hands over his food as if he were blessing it. Uh, in, in, this, uh, in the reenactment, um, Tony goes, or Adam goes, what's wrong? Or the mom says, what's wrong? And, and Adam goes, ah, mom, that's just the way he, he is. Once you get to know him from the inside out, he's really a fantastic guy. Boy, oh boy. Adam's so fucking naive. Uh, and the actor that they played, they chose to play Adam, came across really well. He, he conveyed that sense of naivete very well. Uh, his mother goes on to say, Adam seemed to understand Tony. They seemed to have a good relationship. And I was led to believe that Tony was being very kind to Adam, helping him grow up as a person, mature. That's what he said to me. He said that Tony was helping him mature as a person. And then his sister, who's introduced into this segment, who's hot, by the way, uh, Rebecca, goes on to say, Adam, at the very beginning, he was an elite preppy businessman. He drove a great car, taught tennis. Then he met Tony, and it all changed. He became a mystical person. I felt like I didn't know him anymore. <laughs> then Harold chimes back in, part of, part of me was torn because I felt, like, I felt for what he was trying to do. It was a very noble thing. With Tony by his side, Adam began visiting Skid Row in Los Angeles and often began staying in the streets at night. I know when Adam sets his mind to something, he goes wholeheartedly into whatever he's doing. His involvement with street people increased when he met Tony and he started to understand their problems, Harold, was, his brother, was quoted as saying. Tony and Adam would also share in strange mystical rites at Tony's devising. In one of these rituals, Adam burned his hand severely. His mother comes back on to say, I saw it and I said, my God, what happened to you? And he said, I was testing my endurance. Tony said it would make me stronger. On June 10th, 1989, Harold had not heard from his brother in several days. Concerned, he went to his apartment. My brother was not there and his car was not there either. And I tried to get in and I said, where's Adam? And I said, where is he gone? And in his strange, strange way, Tony didn't answer the question. And in the reenactment, his brother Harold goes to the door, and this fucking bomb opens the door. Tony, this bomb, he's a fucking bomb, is what he is. And he opens the door, and it's, and it's got the chain lock on it. And Harold's like, let me in, let me in. And Tony, this fucking, this, 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 like, succubus, that's got not the right term, because a succubus uh, is a woman. Incubus. No, that's not either. It's a, it's a this, yeah. this leech is the word I'm looking well, for. Incubus is a male... Suck your ma male. Oh, is that right? Okay, whatever. This leech, you know, <laughs> he he go he he when his brother, whose family is like, let me in. Tony's like, uh, it's really hot in here, and he just closes the door. <laughs> you fucking, idiot. I would have kicked that door down, and be like, let yeah. me in, you fucking bum. Get the yeah. fuck out of my brother's apartment. Who are yeah. you even? Like you fucking leech. The, the reenactment. It, it just kind of made me chuckle a little bit because of the acting in that scene, you know, just how absurd everything was. It made me just angry. The it, 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 yeah, I was a little bit upset, but at the same time, it was just so absurd. I couldn't help but kind of chuckle because he's all like, where's Adam? It's like, it's hot in here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? They, they did a good job conveying this guy's batshit craziness. He's clearly mentally ill. I mean, with the whole thing with the uh, the rituals, that's another thing that was just kind of made. It was a nice little extra spice to this segment that yeah. you know really made it stand out even more because you're just like, oh, you know, it's crazy enough that this rich preppy white guy lets this uh, homeless guy live with him, and but now the homeless guy is into like crazy rituals and and all of that. Yeah, and I mean, and then the whole at that point, you know, Adam's so open to that kind of shit, you know. So Adam's just go, kind of going along with it, you know, like like sure, sure, man, whatever you say, bro. Sure, I'll, I'll burn my hand. Yeah, I'll burn like, this no. this stupid white privileged rich hand that I've grown to resent so greatly. Oh yeah, I feel the pain. Yeah, that's real. This is real life. Yeah, I could totally see him. That's his attitude. Like, this is real, Mom. This is reality. I'm in the real world now. Not this pampered, white, overprivileged life that you guys have given me. I, this this shit's real. It's like, all right, this son. So you want frustrating. You want to live a real life? Go get a minimum wage job at McDonald's. That's about as fucking real as you get. And try to make rent payment every month and a car payment. And shit. They should have just cut him off from the yeah. uh, from the the family wallet there. So uh, after his brother went to the apartment, then his mother went to the apartment, and she, I guess, had a key or something. She actually went in, and she goes, as I'm walking down the corridor, Tommy, Tommy, Tony came out of nowhere and put his arms around me and tried to kiss me. It was such a scary thing. And then in the reenactment, she's like, I just want to find my son. I just want to know where my son is. And then this creepy-ass voice, Tony goes, I'm your son. Yeah, but no. I'm your son. And it's like, no, you're yeah. a fucking crazy bum. Get the fuck out. Like, oh, it annoyed yeah, me. Yeah, that's, that's the moment that upset me there. The one was like, it's hot in here. I was just like, that's just absurd and silly. But when he was all, but I'm your son. But I'm your son. Like, that was just so, that was just, that was the moment where I'm like, whoa, okay, this is really creepy all right son you're about to get an ass whooping and this is gonna hurt you a lot more than it hurts me uh so on the advice of a private uh, investigator the family filed a police report and arranged to have tony evicted don't know why it would have taken the advice of a pi to do that shit i would have done it fucking lickety split on july 9th the family stood by as tony was evicted from the apartment now let's rewind here on june 10th is when Harold hadn't heard from his brother, so he went to the apartment. But it took them until July 9th, almost a month later, to actually evict, to, to get the the their brains together and evict this guy. That would have happened on June 11th had it been me, personally. Well, I mean, you, uh, you got to think about the rent laws, but I think it's different here in this case because I don't believe he was paying any rent. He was just staying there. He wasn't on the lease. It was some guy. So he, he wasn't just, on the lease, yeah, he and he was just there. hanging out. So you easily could have kicked him out a, a day later. Yeah, he has no right to even be there. He's, you're not on the lease. No. You don't have a. He's, the, he's a vagrant. Yeah, he's squatting essentially. Yeah. During the eviction, Tony made no effort to avoid police. Investigators interviewed Tony and concluded he had nothing to do with Adam's disappearance. Tony claimed to have no knowledge of his whereabouts. <laughs> Bull fucking shit. One month after Adam's disappearance, his car was found abandoned on a Beverly Hills side street. On the window was several parking tickets. The keys were still in the ignition. Police found his wallet, credit cards, and $600 in cash. Lieutenant Robert Curtis was quoted as saying, We wished we knew 
definitively what happened to Adam Hecht in the past. Um, he had been known for going away for a while, but he'd always come back. Uh, he had a, uh, and then his brother comes in saying he had a very solid business and was very active with a number of different people on a number of different levels. And I do not believe and will not accept that he just decided to get up and go. Then Lieutenant Robert Curtis comes back in saying, while there are suspicious circumstances about his car and finding his property in the car when normally you'd take that with you, we have no criminal evidence, uh, so we're not handling it as a crime. This is strictly a missing persons case. Does Tony know more about Adam's disappearance than what he's telling? Did somebody that Adam met on the street decide to violently reappear? Or did Adam reject his former life of luxury and just lose himself among the homeless? His mother's quoted as saying, What can I say? I just want him to come home. I miss him with all my heart. It's not a complete family without him. And I'll try to understand what he was thinking if he comes back. I would not be mad at him in any way. I just want him to come home because he's truly loved by all of us and many other people. Then, then the man, Mr. Stack, comes in to finish this. In a bizarre postscript to this story, one year after Adam's disappearance, his brother saw Tony once again on the streets of Beverly Hills. When Harold asked Tony where Adam was, Tony replied, if he would simply just spend some time with him on the streets, he might be able to find some clues about Adam. Then Tony walked away. Huh. So, I mean, you know, car, wallet, money, keys in the it, ignition, no yeah. Adam. I mean, nine and 9.5 times out of 10, that means Adam's dead. Yeah, I, I definitely do think he's dead. But I don't know for sure if it was Tony that killed him. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Tony killed him per se, but Tony knows some shit. And because Tony's been on the streets, and mental illness or not, he's he's got enough street smarts to know, yeah. you know you don't talk to police, you don't dime uh -huh. anyone out, you know, unless there's something in it for you personally, unless you're going to get some kind of gain out of it. I think know. what happened is, with Adam, he went to Skid Row one night, and something happened. He got killed. End of story. Yeah, I don't, don't know. know who killed him. Don't know what happened. I don't buy that he went in and became a homeless person and did all of that, whatever. I mean, there have been people who have done that and then have gone on and, and were discovered later because they actually decided to stop living that lifestyle, get a job or whatever, or go back to their family. I don't think this is one of those instances because it's still unsolved. Um, but a body hasn't been found. But I, I definitely do feel that, you know, he's definitely no longer with us, so to speak. I could be wrong. I mean, there's been crazy cases that have uh, had updates years later where the person you thought was dead was alive, but the percentages aren't very high. Yeah, this is no especially Alex, in a case no like Alex that. Cooper segment. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's um, there was no updates. You know, there there's nothing no. online. There's there's no updates. I mean, this is one of those cold cases where at the it end of vanished. yeah, at the end of unsolved mysteries, at the end of the segment, that's all you hear about it. I mean, those ones are always really, especially on the revamp or not the revamp. God, on the uh, <laughs> the newly brought back unsolved mysteries on Amazon Prime. 
the the segments where there's no update at the end, it, even no new update, those are always even more chilling because it's like, yeah. well, that's all we got. That's all the info we got on this case, you know, and it's it remains unsolved. So, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, common sense, you know, things that you learn by not being a rich, pampered kid in Beverly Hills. Um, okay, you know, homeless people. That is a problem. It is a complex problem. There is no easy uh, one one size fits all solution to that. Should you uh, house a homeless person? Probably not a good idea to house them in your own house because you don't no. know why they're homeless. Are they homeless because they just were just completely down on their luck, or are they drug addicts, or are they alcoholics, or are they mentally you know uh, unstable? You know, you just don't know. You don't want to take that chance. Um, and it's so hard to know, you know, it's so hard, it's so hard yeah, to... Yeah, and that's what makes it so crazy with it. It's like, I can't even even think of a reason why anyone would let a homeless guy on the street live with them. I can't, it just doesn't compute. A lot of times, you know, especially a homeless even person... Even if I live that lifestyle, I don't even know if I, you know would even consider doing that a homeless person in beverly hills they know that that like more often than not the person that they're dealing with is going to have money they're going to be wealthy so why wouldn't they try to take advantage of them you know that's well yeah but why would the person who has the money let a homeless person live with them like adam's a a unique case because i don't think his brother would have ever done something like that right i don't think his mother would have done something like that Adam was clearly the more sensitive, kind of in-tuned kid to, like, the problems of the world. But, you know, instead of... Well, he thought he knew more than he really did. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it was just naivete. I mean, I just think he was just incredibly naive, and he bit off more than what he could chew, and it probably cost him his life, and... He should have, like, volunteered at, like, a mission or something to start out with. Yeah, exactly. Something more more supervised, where there's more control of the situation, but going out onto Skid Row, which, by the way, if you guys don't know what Skid Row is, it is um, an area of Los Angeles that contains the largest stable populations of homeless people in the United States, between 3,000 to 6,000, because I didn't know what Skid Row was. Uh, I just had to look it up. It's a band? (laughs) Yes. And it's, it's 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 also a song from Little Shop of Horrors. Eighteen and life I'm counting. Eighteen and life and all. Some girls are gonna see. Let's this now. That's my best <laughs> Sebastian Bach impersonation. I'm sorry. Um. So yeah, that's that case. I thought it was pretty uh, interesting because the whole homeless guy aspect of it and. You know, I I feel like Adam was probably taken advantage of. But then at the same time, like the rich, ritzy Beverly Hills people, which I I don't really feel sorry for when bad things happen to. I'm sorry, but I just I don't know. I I can't I can't go that far. I mean, there's just a part. Adam was technically (laughs) he was technically innocent here. He was just very naive and, you know, went about things the wrong way. I think he legitimately wanted to do good. He legitimately wanted to do something great for the homeless community, but he just didn't think it through. And yeah, he thought, probably, and like I said, too, that was probably too extreme of a statement for me, for me to make. I mean, that that I don't care if anything happens to him. But I, I mean, I, I have there's a certain level of uh, resentment I have towards 
the attitude, I should say. I it, the attitude of I some mean, of some people who have money. I can I can see that okay, the snooty I'm, attitude. I'm qualify uh, my uh, statements here, so I don't get another fucking review that I have to look at. <laughs> the snooty attitudes of rich people, absolutely of the rich and famous. Because but, I, yeah, I do a lot of gigs for these people here in Florida. You know, the Ponte Vedra, certain areas of town that are really nice. You know, I, I do. I, I'm a DJ, and sometimes you know these rich people will hire a DJ, and, and just the uh, how everything has to be absolutely perfect, and how they do talk to you like you're a slave sometimes. You know, like you like they're your master or something. It's like well, some of them will also look at you and judge you by your appearance. Well, I'm a very fine young man, so they couldn't be judging me off that, surely. Told it. Well, I mean, when I go out, I take the piercings out and I cover, you know, you can't tell that I have tattoos. And, yeah. You know, so I mean, like, I don't know if they're judging me by my appearance or not, but they definitely do judge you by the fact that you're the help and they're the yeah. person hiring you. So they're. It's just, it, it, it's, it's learned behavior. I don't know. This is precisely what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's it, learned is, it behavior is learned behavior that they've learned from the situation that they've been in for their whole lives. So they don't really know that it's not appropriate. Yeah, I don't know. But without him, it was just, like you said, naive. He was just extremely naive. And this is a great segment, too, because of the contrast. Rich Beverly Hills, and then right next door, or, you know, is this homeless, this homelessness situation. Yeah, two and it, two it, types of people I cannot relate to. So that's why I thought it was interesting because I, I I have my kind of things about kind of both situations, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean that's why I thought it was an interesting case to uh, talk about. Um, moving on, or else we'll never finish this podcast. Uh, I'm gonna <laughs> <laughs> leave sometime at some point. Uh, we have finally, at long last, the uh, segment that was brought up. Oh, shit. Please don't play sound. Okay, good. I hate the websites where they automatically play a stupid video yeah, and you can't, you can't like, control it. Oh, it's annoying. Oh, wait. Before we do that, um, you know, there, there comes uh, times in this podcast where I feel like you guys should really get to know uh, your fellow listener a little better and know who your, you know, people are listening to this. And, and this week... Um, this person confided in me this story. I didn't want me to tell it, but I feel like I have to. Uh, Patrick Reeves is who we're talking about. He's one of our listeners. I believe he's from Vermont. And, um, he actually told me a crazy story about something that happened to him. Um, he was a, uh, he was a car salesman in Minneapolis. And there was a time where he actually got himself into debt and he became so desperate for money that he hired two thugs to kidnap his own wife. And, but he didn't plan for that to happen. It just kind of went too far. So then he had to uh, collect ransom um, from his wife's wealthy father. And they had to, he had to pay these thugs uh, off to basically get his wife back. And uh, he, he actually only paid them some, and he, he kept the rest to satisfy his own debts. Um, the scheme collapses, or collapsed on him when the uh, thugs actually shot a state trooper. Um, and then it just went all downhill from there. Um, you know, I won't go into any more about what happened, but, uh, you know, I, I, he's better now. Everything's fine now. 
So that, that's, that's a crazy story, Patrick. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, did that really happen? I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe it didn't. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. You just don't know with crazy stories. Um, so the whole thing could have been fabricated or it could have been real, you know? Well, if, you know, that sounds pretty uh, familiar, eh? Oh, I don't know what you're talking about there, Mikey. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know anything uh, about uh, any other thing that that could be about. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, no, not ringing a bell there, movie guy. Don't think <laughs> uh, it's based off anything else. Think that's a story he told me, or maybe he didn't. If you would like a story of your own featured on the podcast where I uh, throw you into the plot of a movie, <laughs> um, that's not really what happened, though. This this story really might have or might not have happened. Um yeah, contribute or th- consider uh, contributing to our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. And if you kick in the $5 a month tier, you will be featured on the uh, podcast in the, some crazy story that happened to you. Or maybe it didn't. That's for you to decide. Um, yeah, we have other tiers and stuff too. There's, yeah, go check that out. And while I'm at plugging things, check out our uh, Facebook group, Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries, as well. It's on Facebook, obviously, because it just said Facebook group, but it's a very vibrant community of great people, nice people, very kind people, um, very active uh, group. Uh, we also have a Facebook page that you can like, but kind of at this point, what's the point in doing that when the group's a lot more active anyway? Uh, Moderated by one Thomas Hatfield. Oh, did I fuck your name up, Thomas? I'm sorry. I can't remember how it's pronounced, but uh, he does a good job on that. Um, and if you want to, uh, if you want us to uh, be a sponsor on this, uh, I'm really reaching now because I haven't done this one before. If you want to be a sponsor on this podcast, you can uh, email me at joshcannon01 at yahoo.com, and uh, you can be sponsored on here and be heard by thousands of people. Um, and that is not an exaggeration, because after it surpassed 1,000, I can officially say thousands, so, (laughs) not saying how much, but thousands, okay? Just thousands. Um, this was a, this was also, uh, an article that was alerted to us, or someone wants to talk, want us to talk about this, um, from Patreon as well. That's another bonus, is you can kick in suggestions for segments, and we're a lot more likely to talk about it if it's a Patreon donor. This was about a, a, a murder that was that the show Twin Peaks was based off of. Um, were you a fan of Twin Peaks, Mike? I actually need to see the whole series. I've seen a few episodes. Uh, I like what I saw, but I do need to check out the whole series. It is a series that was um, produced and directed by David Lynch and then uh, some other guy. What was his name? Fucking Fosberg, Iceberg, Forrester. I don't know. Some other guy, but... David Lynch is the main iceberg. Name. <laughs> Go fucking iceberg. David, David uh, yeah. Lynch was the main guy behind it. It's very David Lynchian in its delivery. Yeah. Very quirky. I, I remember the stuff that I saw from the first season. I like more than season two. Um, it's it's a weird show, man. I don't know how I feel. And about it's it. coming back. Yeah, the Showtime. It's one of those shows that, like many other shows, has a bunch of diehard fans, um, people who are really... It's become a cult classic of a oh, TV absolutely. show. Oh, uh, absolutely. I don't necessarily see why. I mean, I get it to a... I can see why. This film is actually... I mean, this this series... There was also a movie called uh, Firewalk With Me. Um, this series was actually did really well uh, with critics and with fans in the first season. It was... A lot of ways, a phenomenon. 
Ratings-wise, it, it didn't aired. do so great, though. That's why they revealed who killed Laura Palmer in the middle of season one, which I thought yeah. was so weird. Um, yeah. They, Actually, I don't know if they did that in the middle of season one. They did. Yeah, they they, oh, okay. they revealed who killed her in like the middle of season one because they were going to do it in season two. And the execs at the whatever station, whatever channel it premiered on, like NBC or whatever, they're like, hey, you know, the ratings aren't doing so great. So you need to, you know, do something to boost the ratings. So that's why conspicuously. Well, regardless whether or not the ratings did well or not, it's still a very fondly remembered show yeah. by a lot of people yeah. so i i don't feel that this is a show that doesn't deserve its following i definitely do think it does and i can see why i mean especially for fans of david lynch's work and uh the the second second season though i i did feel definitely started to go off the rails it, it like got even weirder to the point where it was like uh, I, I don't mind weird, but a bit too weird now <laughs> for me personally. So this article here is um, basically saying, um, and it's from the Daily Ma- DailyMail.co.uk. It's um, from Sand Lake to Twin Peaks: How One Woman's Grisly Unsolved Murder in 1908 Inspired the 90s Cult TV Drama. That is making a co- uh, comeback in a Showtime reboot. Uh, do you need this article, Mike? I have it. Oh, okay, you have it. Cool. I'll look at you all prepared. Um, so I got some bullet points here. Um, in preparation for the Twin Peaks long-awaited reboot, which begins in May. Oh, this month. Residents mm-hmm. of the town of the original 1990 hit drama were uh, was based on are gearing up for a surge of fans eager to solve the mystery. Um, Sand Lake is a real-life version of Twin Peaks, and the character Laura Palmer, whose naked body is discovered in the river at the beginning of the show, is based on Hazel Drew. Now, one crazy, curious thing that Mike told me about when I was wanting to talk about this case, he was saying that Unsolved Mysteries already covered it, and I was like, no way. And, and I looked it up, I couldn't find anything, and then you, you actually sent me a commercial on YouTube where they tease this very case but it's not on the vhs rips that we have it's not on or it hasn't yet been released on the it, Amazon. it might that it might not be hazel drew it might be a different case but i don't i don't know but they definitely for sure. did, didn't they in the commercial they mentioned twin peaks they said the real life twin peaks murder so yeah. that's why but we yeah, can't we can't find any more information about no, it. no i can't so either weird it's it's very bizarre it's um, an unsolved mystery for an unsolved mystery segment. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> Sand Lake historian Bob Moore's phone has been ringing off the hook with amateur detectives offering their... Bloody, bloody, bloody. <laughs> what? I was just saying, we have to go to the bullet points. I mean, because we're going to be talking about all this stuff. Oh, true that. Okay. Anyway, so a lot of people are calling, trying to... So, okay, folks, this is the new segment of the podcast. Anytime we deviate from Unsolved Mysteries, just anticipate a train wreck and, and poor reading. So that's... I don't know what we can call this segment yet. Um, I might even make a little bumper theme to introduce it, but uh, this is Josh and Mike's bad reading hour uh, or reading segment. Um this is another one of those, and it's unplanned. It's, it's live, folks. Yeah, exactly. Live! <laughs> Butt Rock 9308, the Eagle! Um, yeah, so anyway. So we're skipping the bullet points here. You start. 
Twin Peaks fanatics have descended on a tiny New York town trying to solve the century-old murder of a young woman whose death inspired this cult TV classic. Sam Lake residents are now gearing up for a surge in tourism as the long-awaited new series, including original cast members, including Kyle MacLachlan as FBI agent Dale Cooper. The townsfolk of Sand Lake are getting used to tripping over Twin Peaks fans poking around in the local woods and pouring over old documents in the town hall. Nerds. I love the use of tripping over Twin Peaks fans. <laughs> it's like, are, you, are they literally tripping over Twin Peaks like, fans? Like their lower life in the woods? They're just like always like on the ground with a magnifying glass, like Sherlock Holmes or some shit. Uh, Sand Lake historian Bob Moore's phone has been ringing off the hook with amateur detectives offering their take on what, who killed 20-year-old Hazel Drew in July 1908. Twin Peaks creators David Lynch and Mark Frost, Frost set the surreal 1990s show in Washington State near the Canadian border. Morgan. But writer-director Frost found his inspiration 2,500 miles away in the pretty hamlet where he spent his childhood summers. And they have a lot of pictures on here. The series, now considered to be one of the greatest TV dramas ever made, greatest TV drama ever made, opens with the discovery of Laura Palmer's naked body in a river. FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper, played by Kyle MacLachlan, just reiterating shit that Mike already said, slowly uncovers her double life, aided by an eccentric cast of locals in his own spooky dreams. Dark hints of the occult run throughout the 30 episodes, and Frost confessed he took some of those ideas from his grandmother's stories about the ghost of a young woman haunting the woods surrounding their home in Tabarton near Sand Lake. Um, that was enough to set government consultant Mark Gibbons, who runs the Twin Peaks podcast, on the investigation trail. Huh. Mark Gibbons of the uh, Twin Peaks podcast. If you're listening... Uh How's it going? I don't know. What's your podcast name? That might be interesting for some people on here. They might be interested in that kind of thing. He said, I thought I'd do a show on it, end quote. He tells Daily Mail. But I found, but what I found was huge. Uh, Mark Frost had mentioned the name Hazel and that the murder was 20 miles away from Albany. I started Googling and looking at maps of the area before finally finding her full name. That was Rosetta, that was the Rosetta Stone moment. You can handle the next one there, Mike. Along with TV curator David Bushman, who wrote the who wrote the everything you ever wanted. Along with TV curator David Bushman, who wrote the everything you ever wanted to know book Twin Peaks back. You can see why that was hard to read. There's just so many words there. Uh, Givens has been spending his spare time sifting through suspects in the hope of solving the crime. They are now planning a book on the murder. Drew, a blonde bombshell with a well-formed figure, was last seen picking raspberries by the side of the Taborton Road at 7 p.m. on July 7, 1908. Her badly decomposed body was found in Teal Pond four days later. Police honed in on, dozen suspe on a dozen suspects, including a dim-witted farm boy, a drunken charcoal peddler, a dentist who had proposed to Drew despite being married, and a professor who employed her. Then there was Drew's suicidal and melancholy uncle, William Taylor, who sounds like a character straight out of Twin Peaks, who lived near the pond and helped pull her body from the water. Locals who had no obvious connection to Drew came under suspicion, notably the half-witted son of a Sand Lake Window, wid Widow, Window, a Sand Lake Window, a Sand Lake Widow who was believed to torture farm animals. That's why I, I screwed up there, because I saw, you know, this person was torturing farm animals, and I was like, whoa, what? And you, uh, want, and you wanted to throw them out the window. Yeah, exactly. 
A florid-faced uh, stranger spotted near the pond with a, and a man with a dark complexion seen with a girl who looked like Drew on a trolley bus were also suspected. Drew's skull had been smashed in and a piece of ribbon was wrapped around her neck. But that didn't stop people speculating that she'd been mowed down by a reckless automobilist in a newly invented touring car. It was briefly suggested the driver had panicked and tried to make the accident look like murder. Drew's death was the newspaper sensation of the day, and journalists arrived from all over the U.S. to report on the twists and turns of the Teal Pond mystery. Like Twin Peaks' Palmer, a seemingly perfect young woman who is a secretly a cocaine-abusing prostitute, uh, gossip suggested that Drew wasn't all that she seemed. Oh, we better not make any accusations like we did on the Black Dolly murder with Elizabeth Short, or God, we'll hear about that shit. So that's what this article is saying, folks. We're not saying shit about her. We don't know this woman. Um, sorry, a little bit of bitterness there coming up again. Uh, Drew had, quote, no known sweetheart, end quote, but there was speculation about a group of older men she allegedly had relationships with and gossip about orgies at a campsite in the woods. That sounds hot. And Drew's mother, Julia, believed a man from nearby Troy, said to have had hypnotic powers, had exerted a mysterious influence. Wow, this really is like Twin Peaks. Yeah. Drew had been employed by Professor Edward Carey as a servant turned governess to his children, but she abruptly left the job on the morning before she disappeared without giving a reason. She checked a suitcase packed with clothes into storage at a Troy railroad station, though no one ever found out why and was seen catching a train to Albany. Her final 24 hours remain a mystery. Today, Sand Lake is a quiet residential area with just a handful of local businesses. But in 1908, it was known as the Coney Island of the North with a fun fair. A, now, fun fair's in the name. How do I know it's fun? It might just be a normal fair. It says fun fair. It's all one word. A fun fair, a dozen big hotels, and numerous summer campgrounds packed with tourists and apparently orgies. Forensic science barely existed. The process of fingerprinting criminals, criminals, criminals <laughs> in New York had begun just three years earlier. And the murder investigation looked slipshod compared to modern standards. Suspects were named and, sh and shamed willy-nilly. Others were never even traced. Drew's aunt, Minnie Taylor, the last family member to see her alive, refused to cooperate with the police and told her niece's friends to do the same. Givens and Bushman, who planned to call their book Who Killed Hazel Drew, the murder mystery that inspired Twin Peaks, have yet to narrow down a chief suspect. It's a tricky one, says 42-year-old Givens, who lives in Washington, D.C., we are still in the research stage. It's not like reading a history book. The stories start with assumptions, then theories that were then disproved. There were probably two dozen suspects in all. It changed on a daily basis. There are lovers and secrets, all very twin peaks. There are uncanny, uncanny coincidences between the real murder and Laura Palmer's. Bushman, a former TV writer who now works for the Pal Pally Media Center in New York, contacted Givens initially after listening to his Deer Meadow Radio Podcast. Okay, so that's the name of his podcast, Deer Meadow Radio. And uh, then joined him on a research weekend in Sand Lake. I can't think of a lamer way to spend your time, but hey, whatever you're into. Oh, it might be pretty interesting. It might be kind of fun. I'm a huge fan of Twin Peaks. I've probably seen it the show 20 times, he says. When I heard Mark Frost talk about a murder, I started researching it too. Will we solve the murder? We will probably come up with our best guess, but we're not there yet. History teacher Ron Hughes is also writing a book about Drew's murder and believes he has narrowed the suspect list down to just two, her melancholy uncle William and the dim-witted farm boy Frank Smith. No one was ever arrested, he tells the DailyMail.com, but there were so many suspects and so many unanswered questions. 
Hazel was drop-dead gorgeous, beautiful. It was said that even the pretty girls would stop to check her out. She was very classy, polite, and fashionable. The autopsy report said she had a well-formed figure. A newspaper article quoted one of her friends as saying she had a very large bust. Yeah, see, this is what I hate. This is what I fucking, I sound like Jay Leland. This is what I hate. This is what I hate about these articles. Um, <laughs> you sound like Cartman instead of, that's, that sounds more like Cartman than uh, I'm Jay a, Leno I'm, there. I'm Jay Leno on crank, okay? This is what I hate about, like, when, when pretty, like, the missing white girl syndrome or whatever we talked about earlier. They all, they always got to focus on, she was so pretty. She was so beautiful. They, like, harp on that. Like, that makes her more important of a missing person than the average missing person. Like I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I could see that they're just describing her. But they like go, they like go out of their ways. Like some of these articles, they go out of their way to make it like she was, and she was so beautiful and too, and that's what makes it even more traumatic. Josh, she had big tits. Yeah, Josh, are you getting upset about this because you're not a beautiful woman? Maybe I am. Okay, maybe I wish I was a beautiful woman with large breasts, but I'm not. I'm just a man with large breasts. So, eh, you know, whatever. Well, that 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 got awkward uh, yeah, real fast. Weird. I don't have large breasts, people. <laughs> They're normal breasts. Why am I talking about my breasts? God damn it. <laughs> what the fuck? Dude, my toe just literally snagged the power cable to this recorder. It didn't pull it out, but oh my god, that was a close call. <laughs> that scared the shit out of me. Just Maybe then. you should have. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Dude, I would probably edit that out if I were you. Uh, Hazel worked as a governess or servant, depending on which newspaper you read, for Professor Edward Carey and his wife. They loved Hazel. They couldn't speak highly enough of her. But she came back from a weekend away with her cousins and abruptly quit after Miss Carey asked her to do the laundry. Her cousins and Hazel had been in a good mood at the weekend, but she hadn't met anyone else and she hadn't been upset. Really? She came, comes back and she quits after someone asked her to do the laundry? Like, Oh, servicing men and doing all this other stuff. All that, doing other servant stuff. That's fine. Ask her to do the laundry. Oh, no. I can't possibly do the laundry. Now, I will give an anonymous man a blowjob, but I will be damned if you ask me to wash a load of clothes. <laughs> so, the police quizzed Professor Carey, and then, the, and then there was a married dentist, Edwin Knopf, who had apparently proposed to Hazel. Police looked very closely at him. Hazel checked a suitcase into storage, but no one ever found out why. There was a newspaper clipping in the case, a notice that said Edward Lavoie had departed for Chattanooga, Tennessee. The police and the newspaper reporters thought that could have been a clue, that maybe she was going away with him. Quote, I found out a lot about Lavoie, but like the police, I couldn't connect him. Although later in life, he got into trouble in a stock manipulation scheme. Hughes, who grew up near Sand Lake and now teaches high school history in, in the Catskill Mountains, started researching the murder after reading about the case in a Troy newspaper on the 100th anniversary in 2008. But after sifting through newspaper clippings, he quickly came to the conclusion that the media and the district attorney were spreading a fair amount of disinformation. Wrong! You're fake news! The district attorney was under tremendous pressure to solve the murder, so I think he tried to throw the press off his back by suggesting Hazel could have been hit by a car. He knew that wasn't the case. Her body did not show the effects of being hit by a car, and her clothes weren't ripped. Reporters came from all over America, and some were very tabloidish. I love that word, tabloidish. Uh, there was speculation about Hazel's involvement with four older businessmen, including the man who owned the funeral home where her body was taken. 
Towards the end of the investigation, when the reporters were bored, they went to a summer camp where it was rumored that men in cars, a fairly unusual occurrence in 1908, would take women they had picked up for orgies. <laughs> what the fuck is going on up in the, in the upper United States in 1908? At the inquest, the owner of the camp vehemently denied it, as I would imagine he would. Hughes, 53, was surprised at how quickly Drew's murder dropped off the newspaper front pages and uh, the police investigation faded. From start to finish, it was just a month, he says. The police said it was ongoing, but no one was ever arrested. Like Hughes, Sand Lake historian Moore thinks 17-year-old farmhand Frank Smith, described in some reports as loutish and in other reports as dim-witted, uh, Drew's uncle William and Aunt Minnie knew more than they let on. The uncle was recently widowed and had attempted suicide, he says. He lived very close to Teal Pond and helped pull her body out. Hazel was close to his sister Minnie and they spent a lot of time together, possibly even double dated, although Hazel was 20 and Minnie was 33. Minnie refused to cooperate with the police and refused to reveal the names of Hazel's friends and associates, claiming she did not want to drag innocent people into the affair. The farm boy fancied Hazel and was amongst the last to see her alive. There are many things that don't add up. These are all quotes from Moore. Uh, Moore, a 67-year-old retired school teacher, first delved into Drew's archives when he took over as the town's official historian three years ago. There were pages and pages of 1908 newspaper cuttings. I, I thought I'd maybe write a story about it, but I kept putting it on one side. Then Ron Hughes contacted me, and he was very familiar with the case, and we talked at length. Then David Bushman and Mark Givens got in touch, and so I took them on a little tour of the area. Mark Frost's family lived on the hill in Taborton near Sand Lake, and he heard stories from his grandmother about the Drew murder. I went to Taborton and got to chatting to a man. It was Mark's brother, Scott, who wrote some of Twin Peaks and was still and still had a house in the area. Then a guy named John Walsh came in to see me. Uh, it turned out I had taught him social studies at, art, at school. He helped Mark Frost with some of the local history. I wrote a short story for the local paper, and now I'm getting phone calls from all sorts of people offering clues. Who knows if it will ever be solved? There's no one left from 1908, so it is all hearsay or hypothetic. Uh, but people are really psyched up. Locals remember stories their grandparents told them, talks and taverns and all sorts of theories. Uh, one theory has four local businessmen who were supposedly involved with Hazel and she got pregnant, and so they did her in. One of them also owned the funeral home and, did, and he also did the autopsy. Then there is a little occult. One of the doctors used to tend to animals that were sick. He would insist on working alone. It was believed he practiced the dark arts. There were some pretty wild things apparently going on up on Taborton Mountain. Women were seen running around half naked in 1908, and one newspaper report had a woman clad only in a rubber overcoat. According to the newspapers, Hazel had no known sweetheart. Her family said that she had very little to do with men after having her heart broken two years earlier by a fiancé who ran off with one of her friends. Apparently, she preferred to keep the company of women. The automobilist theory has the driver of a new touring car knocking her down, but people say it is unlikely as the mountain road is hard for modern cars, let alone back then. I didn't really watch Twin Peaks when it came out, but I am catching up now on Netflix, and the similarities between the fictional Twin Peaks and Sand Lake are stunning. Sand Lake was also a mill town. There was the big family-owned Crips Hotel, just like the one in Twin Peaks, and a very similar scenery. We, all, we have our own Twin Peaks in the distant Catskill Mountains. Suddenly, there's a lot of interest in Sand Lake and the murder. A local silkscreen business is planning to print out 
print up who killed Hazel Drew t-shirts. There's talk of holding a Twin Peaks convention here. And Agnomatic Frost of uh, 63 uh, has occasionally dropped hints about real stories between behind Twin Peaks, but his most telling observations were in an essay he wrote in the Sand Lake newspaper newsletter about his maternal grandmother. The inspiration for the television series Twin Peaks sprang from a nightmarish little bedtime story my grandmother Betty Calhoun printed, planted in my ear as a young boy, he wrote. Betty, whose interest in the facts was, at best, glancing, framed this tale more... That was a poorly read sentence. Framed this tale glancing. more... Glancing. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand commas and how they work. Framed this tale more along the lines of a cautionary ghost story. Don't go out in the woods at night, etc. Poor Hazel's body was found on the banks of the pond. Mystery ensued. Uncertainty about the perpetrator lingered in May still. Some weeks later, a calf stuck in the mud and bleeding, bleating for help under a dim half moon. God damn it, I need a dictionary sometimes. Was mistaken for the spirit of the lost girl by a couple of local drunks who fled the scene in terror. Some 20 years later, half-remembered details of this sad tale swarm through my subconscious during the creation of a similarly doomed character named Laura Palmer, end quote. Frost, whose family, Frost, whose family home on Big Bowman Pond in Taburton has since been sold, uh, used other real-life stories from this area in Twin Peaks and called the town's medical center, where much of the action is set, the Calhoun Memorial Hospital, after his grandparents. His grandfather, Douglas Calhoun, was a doctor, and in another twist, Frost cast his own actor, or father, Warren Frost, as a kindly physician, Will Hayward, and turned him into a star. Oh, wow, I know that. Uh, why would I know that? I'm not a huge Twin Peaks fan. Um, Frost, whose younger brother Scott wrote two episodes of Twin Peaks in the accompanying book, The Autobiography of Special Agent Dale Cooper, jokingly called it reverse nepotism. Warren was 60 and had just retired from teaching theater in Minnesota when he was cast as Doc Hayward. He followed that up with an instantly recognizable role as father of George Costanza's fiance on Seinfeld. Oh, shit! Now I know who they're talking about. That guy was awesome! I knew that's who that guy was. Man, I didn't know that was the father of, uh, you know, the director, Mark Frost. That's cool. George, yeah, that guy was, uh, that guy was hilarious. He was the, kind of the hard-ass guy, and, well, anyway. Uh, he's also in the long-awaited, uh, new series of Twin Peaks, which starts on Showtime in May, but his appearance will be bittersweet for Frost and his family. Warren died in February, age 91. Jesus, well, I mean, shit, at least he lived a long, full life. That's, that's good, you know. Uh, so I think that's that is the article. That's it. So there you go. Orgies. <laughs> A long time ago. Um. Forced. I'm out of I'm out of gas, people. I'm <laughs> I'm out of gas too. I'm I'm hungry. I need I need to get. Uh, I'm starving. I need to get some uh, energy. Uh, but anyway, uh, interesting. Yeah, it's a fascinating case. I actually would like to see a film based on uh, the actual case, not Twin Peaks, which is inspired by the case, but an actual film based on the actual events of the case, or even maybe some of the crazier stuff. Uh, I think it'd be a could be a pretty good movie. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for uh, this week. You can check me out on YouTube, youtube.com slash dancingwithghosts for more entertaining content. Uh, I, I review video games. I do my own weekly vlogs. Well, they're supposed to be weekly. Uh, I review, I taste test food. I do a bunch of random shit. So you should just go check it out because there's something for everybody on there, like Disney World. 
Uh, you can find Mike uh, on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash OCP communications. And he mainly reviews movies and he gets very passionate sometimes. And then he gets very happy sometimes. And other times he even tries food too. Um, I don't think there's anything else to plug for this week. So every everybody, oh wow. Everybody have a good rest of your week and we will talk to you next week. Stay safe. Good night. See ya. Here are some more outtakes, so... All right, it's about time. <laughs> about time? What do you mean? I've, I've dicked around way longer than than today yeah i know i'm just i'm just you're just eager to to i'm just joking i'm just messing with you you're eager to cast some pods <laughs> uh interesting like a dryer pod like a washer washing machine pods like yeah tied. yeah yeah that's what i meant <laughs> sure sure mike Oh, I don't want to go to my fucking karaoke gig tonight. I, just w- I want to do this podcast, and I want to play some fucking video games, and I want to work on my music, and yeah, I want to. I don't want to go and do karaoke for four hours at this place. It's so fucking boring. I stand there for like four hours on my feet. Nobody, people were singing at first, but for some reason they're not now you know like they were at when like when i first uh-huh. started doing the gig so now it's like super boring for me and it's just like oh fuck it's so i mean it's better than a real job i shouldn't be complaining but you know no so, yeah yeah so does everything sound good levels are good all of that all yeah of that jazz yeah you sound good i think i'm coming in fine okay I think uh, we should save the stories and stuff for the 50th episode. I think that'd be a fun thing to do. Okay. Well, yeah, true. Um, Plus a few other things, but I just don't know. That's just one that I thought would be a good sort of way to give back uh, to the fans. Um, Well, what we should do then is we should announce on the group that, hey, you know, I know that a few of you submitted scary stories, but, you know, we need, we we want everybody, you know, we we should make like an official thing, like an announcement for that. Because there's a few people who did, like, there's like, I don't know what. There was a nice amount of them. Ten people. Yeah. Um, but I know we have more people who post in the group than that, so it'd be nice to get more stories, I guess. Uh-huh. But yeah, that's a good idea to save that. True. True! <laughs> alright. Um, alright, then I'll exit out of that page then. Cause do I had, you want to start... What do you want to start with? Adam, uh, Gus? I'll start with Gus, because uh, okay. I, I, like th- uh, I, I like that... Uh, I like the Adam story more than that Gus one. I mean, it was okay, but uh, there just wasn't a whole lot there that I found that interesting. What made you choose that one? I hate I you chose- for choosing it. I'm not just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I chose that one because I thought it was uh, one of the more shocking ones, uh, cases that I've seen, especially with the whole thing where the, the idea that Gus might have been kidnapped... And taken to a garage and tortured to death yeah. for dates. Yeah. But but it's I don't know like 
like I don't know. I just think of like the other segments that are out there as far as torture goes, like Dave Box from the whistleblown segment and Chip Yeah, Clinton's. I know, I know, but it's still like for days. Like yeah. not Well, I mean honestly one night and then put in a smelter, which obviously is really horrible, but this <laughs> is like it was a horrible smelting accident. <laughs> it was tied up, you know, and then tortured and then beaten and tortured and then left for dead by these asshole bikers. Yeah. All he was doing was riding his bike, and they come up. I mean, the image of the bikers riding up next to him, hitting him with chains, is something that definitely sticks out to me as well. Yeah, that's kind of a shitty thing to do. What did you <laughs> did you get to check out the Adam Hecht segment? Oh yeah, I saw that. Like I told you, oh, I yeah, saw that right. recently. Yeah, I'm my sorry. mom was I'm... watching season three on Amazon Prime, and I saw that on the episode that I mom was watching the so. methamphetamine starting to kick in so i'm a little loopy right now you'll have to excuse me oh okay yeah all right uh all right let me see what episode we're on i, I think it's 44 that's what i'm gonna say that's how you would say that in german episode you sure it's 44 no it's 45 just yeah i was gonna say because you already made a mistake earlier oh my god yeah i want <laughs> i'll mention that Josh's folly. <laughs> that sounds like one of those unsolved mysteries uh, descriptions for yeah, the it's Josh's folly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day I can I can uh, screw up so royally that I become an unsolved mystery. <laughs> all right, I guess let's do this thing. Everything I got with this right. and the fucking that and the boo scoop a doo. All right. And let me do a little quick edit here. I gotta take a piss. Fifty-one twenty-six. Right. All them damn Coke Zeros. I'm only human. <laughs> Cause I'm sitting on the dock of the bay. Watching the tide roll away. Sitting on the dark of the bay. Wasting my time. I'm only human. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Sorry you had to hear that. The pissing and the singing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one I'm more sorry about. Um, singing and pissing at the same time. <laughs> singing, I'm only human. So there must be something wrong down there. <laughs> I'm having to make excuses. Um, all right, so let's go back into this here. 